American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. Welcome to another episode of American, American Timelines. Timelines. I'm Amy. And I'm Sleeves McGillicuddy. You might know me from my other podcast, My Three Gregs, where I talk about the careers of Greg Gumbel, Greg Evigan, and Greg the Hammer Valentine. All right. No, that's Joe. I'm Joe. I'm just Joe. And, I'm Amy's husband. Yeah. And this is the podcast that brings you all the crazy, nostalgic, interesting things that have happened in the past, and yes. we do it year by year. Year by year. And today we are going to talk about 1960. 1960. This is episode 64. So those of you avid fans, um, you'll realize that only 62 episodes are out. Episode 63 is in the can. And then this one you'll be able to listen to again in two weeks. Uh, That's right. Once we get it out there. So... Thank you for being here. Thank you for joining. We're happy to be part of Charlotte Shout. Yes, um, very cool. Yes, we're here at Coco and the Director, our first live show ever. Uh, yeah. And But we have so much to get to, and this is kind of a history podcast. Yes, it is. And a true crime podcast. Yes, it is. Uh, and kind of a comedy podcast because... Because uh, you think you're funny. Because I think I'm funny. But we got so much to get to, and we got to finish the year in this episode. That's our goal. So we got it. We're, we're in... October, so we got to jump right in. That's right. Are we all ready? We're ready to jump right in? Yes. You ready? I'm ready. Let's go. All right, go. Brian, you ready? All right. We're going to jump right in here. We left off at the beginning of October in the last episode, um, and I have something on Monday, October 3rd, 1960. There was a mysterious character mm-hmm. on the Andy Griffith show. I don't know if you know oh, about this. No, I don't His remember. His name was Mr. Schwump. Okay. I have no memory of this. Okay, so Mr. Schwump was the character's name. He would occasionally appear, often sitting on a park bench. And the other characters would acknowledge him with, Hello, Mr. Schwump. And he would nod silently. Are you and, making this up? No, I'm serious. This is total serious. The actor who played him has never been identified. What? Nobody knows who it is. Or those that do know aren't saying for some reason. Um, so uh, it's been Where so, did you find this? This is on the internet, on, on the, the interwebs. So, so Mr. Schwump, and so uh, even Andy Griffith has been asked and interviewed, and mm-hmm. he says, yeah, I remember him. Well, who was it? And he, won't, he either won't say or he doesn't know. What is, does he say, I won't say, or does he say, I have no idea? He just or? says, I don't recall, I don't remember. But nobody can find out who this is, not even IMDb, nothing. Maybe he was but, a serial murderer. Maybe he was a murderer or witness protection or somebody. But he went on TV. He was a witness protection but he went on TV. What if you were in the witness protection you wanted to go on TV? Mm -hmm. This is the only way to do it is have that happen. I think you're reaching. But here's here's a weird thing about it. Maybe it just wasn't a very memorable performance. No. no. He was on several episodes. There's like 25 episodes he was on and he was also on the Gomer Pyle show Mm -hmm. that was a spinoff. He was on like three episodes of that. And what? Still, and the same no, character? The same guy, Mr. Schwump, just sitting on a park bench, and they just say hi to him for no reason. And nobody knows who it is. But in 2012, here, here's where the story gets a little thicker. In 2012, uh, a, a group called the, um, what is their name? The uh, Andy Griffith Show Rerun Watchers Club. 
That's a club. Those you are can some join. attractive yeah. people. <laughs> yeah, the people that are in the Andy Griffith Show Rerun Watchers Club. That's a real club. Yeah. The people that are in that club claimed in 2012 that they figured out who it was finally. Oh. Right. Okay. Uh, and they they published this story on April 1st. Yeah. Uh, of 2012, and they said we've announced we figured out who the actor is. It was a man a man named Patch S. Wimmers. Patch S. Wimmers. Patch S. Wimmers. Okay. And he was from Camp Through, Mississippi. That all sounds made up. It is made up because if you look at uh, Patch S. Wimmers and Camp Through, T H R E W, Miss, yeah. those are anagrams. It's the same letters in each one for some reason. Turns out the story was an April Fool's joke. And if you oh. read to the end, you could click and get free shipping at some uh, department store. Oh, that's lame. Yeah, it was stupid. But yeah. So to this day, still, as far as we know, nobody knows who this guy is. All right. All right. So, I like it. Yeah, that's maybe, pretty cool. Maybe you can be the first to find out. I won't because I don't, I don't really care, but that, that is pretty cool. So those of our listeners that are huge Andy Griffith fans and are in that club, sorry yes. that Amy made fun of that club. No. But I, yeah. I think it's safe to assume those guys aren't getting a lot of dates. No offense. That's probably true. There's probably, probably a guy true. in here that's like, man, dang, that stupid American timelines. I'm getting out of here. And then on they Thursday, flip the table. they're going to flip the table over and hear Coco, the director. And then on Thursday, October 6th, 1960, I want to get you in on this live video. Can we pull this back so we can see you, Amy? There you are. Yep. Well, we can't do both of us. Anyway, no. uh, Thursday, October 6th, 1960, mm-hmm. the slave Spartacus leads a violent revolt against the decadent Roman Republic. The highest grossing movie of the year in 1960 oh, came out. Right? Spartacus. Spartacus, yeah. yeah. In 1960, it's the highest grossing movie. Do you want to take a guess, Amy, how much it made in 1960 I to be the highest no grossing movie? I have no idea. Uh, Five million dollars. I don't know. You're not, cl- not too oh, far really? off. Fourteen million was the highest grossing oh, movie in 1960. Bad. And a couple things about Spartacus. Um, Wasn't that, um, what was the guy's name? Kirk Douglas or something? Mike, no. Yeah, Kirk Douglas. Was it? Michael Douglas, who now looks older than Kirk Douglas ever was. Yes. Is the son of Kirk Douglas. Right, right, yes. right. Okay. And, uh, he had yeah, that Kirk Douglas, big dimple in his chin. He did. Giant dimple chin, uh, butt chin, as I call it. Kirk Douglas and Stan- Stanley Kubrick yes. fought so much on the set of this that they uh, had to have therapy together. Really? They attended therapy throughout the filming of this. Because they fought so much. Oh, wow. Is that crazy? That is crazy. And then uh, in order to get so many big stars to play supporting roles in Spartacus, Kirk Douglas showed each one a different script mm-hmm. in which his character was emphasized uh, to get them to agree to the movie and then just change the script back to the original just to get yeah, everybody just, to agree. Just to yeah. get him to agree? Yeah. Okay. So you think that's, you know, you wonder how Avengers Endgame, like that's one of those big things. Like how do they get all these stars to be in so it? So they just pump up their egos and yeah. make them think they're going to be the they star. They all probably then, were okay. told, yeah. and Because you know how actors are. Oh, oh, Kirk Douglas is still alive. We have, I'm going to a Facebook Live here. We got a comment from one of our listeners, Rich Helland. Uh, he, you may remember him from season one as Wolf Hammerstein, yes, the only uh, fictional character we've ever had on American Timelines, but he told me that Kirk Douglas is still alive. Is he really? Yeah. Is he lying? Well, he might be lying, but he says that. Yeah, it's a comment, a listener comment. We don't know. Um, and then, uh, anything else about Spartacus you want to know? No, I've never seen it. I don't really care for it. Well, they're, they're, um, yeah, it was very controversial at this time because they had a, uh, a scene, uh, sort of a 
gay innuendo scene. Did they really? Yeah. Well, but they had to cut progressive. it. No, they had to cut oh. it, though, because of it yeah. was 1960. Right, right. Um, but they restored it in 1991. Really? But Laurence Olivier was dead. Yeah. So uh, they needed to put a voice over, mm. a voice in there. And uh, Sir Anthony Hopkins did the voice of Laurence Olivier in the 1991 re-release. Because, really? Because his, Laurence Olivier's wife knew that Anthony Hopkins could do such a great Laurence voice. Olivier yeah. impression. Uh, an impression, yeah. Is that That's, cool? That is cool. Rich Little was going to be the second choice. No. But, uh, yeah, Rich, no Little Rich Little can't do any impression. Rich Little can do everybody. No, Rich did, Little he sounds is like greatest. Rich Little all the time. Rich Little? Yeah. Rich Little a, is the greatest terrible. impressionist of all time. No, he's not. I, I disagree. Oh, yeah. I just got an update. Kirk Douglas is 102 years old. And that's the last thing I'll say about Spartacus. Good. Uh, so we'll go on to the next one. Monday, October 10th, yep. 1960, we got a new number one song on the Billboard charts. This lasted six days. What is this? Larry Vern. It's, a, it's your favorite. It's a novelty, novelty song. Yay! Nobody knows this. This is Larry Vern. The song is called Mr. Custer. What am I doing here? <laughs> Please, Mr. Custer. It's a not, I don't yeah. want to go. Oh, my God. Yeah, I love novelty songs. It's a novelty song. It's a comical song about a soldier's plea to General Custer before the climactic battle of the Little Bighorn against the Sioux, which he did not want to fight. Yeah. In 1964... Larry Vern recorded and released a sequel novelty song. Yeah, you can cut it now. <laughs> we usually just, if it's terrible, we end up just cutting it. Uh, so, yeah, that was pretty bad. In 1964, Vern recorded and released a sequel novelty song entitled Return of Mr. Custer, which yeah. used the same exact melody and the same music arrangement, but it failed to chart for some reason. I can't imagine. Maybe because that's, it was that's terrible. That's bizarre. Yeah, yeah, it was terrible. It's, um, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. So, I love it. I love yeah. novelty songs. Novelty songs are Amy's good to favorite. Have one. If you're a listener, not you're really, like, yeah. but kind of. Well, you you like to talk about. I them. like the kitsch yeah. value. Oh hey, how are you guys? <laughs> I know some people over there. Welcome to American Timelines, <laughs> podcast by History for Jerks. Anyway, I'm getting distracted. Yes, My ADD is kicking in. Your ADD. Tuesday, October 11th, 1960. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the premiere of a primetime cartoon show. Okay. You know what it was? We already ta- we already talked about Flintstones oh, we did on the previous That's episode. Right. Maybe Prime you know. time cartoon. Hmm. Flintstones is the only one I can think of. The Bugs Bunny Show. Oh, is that prime time? It was an animated television anthology series hosted by Bugs Bunny. Yeah. And it debuted in prime time in 1960. Okay. And they would play cartoons from 1948 through 1969 from Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. That was on prime time. Wow. Who knew that? Yeah, I didn't right? know that. But you got to think about it. It's out. 1960. There's not much on TV, right? Right. So There's three channels. Yeah, there's so only three channels. So you watch what you're given. You watch what you're giving. Um, anyway, the show changed from year to year and switched networks, and then it was finally canceled, but not until 2000. The final show was what? Bugs Bunny. It Bugs wasn't Bunny on prime time until 2000. No, no, no. Bugs Bunny was actively on the air from 1960 all the way to 2000. Was it really? Yeah. Yep. Were they making new Bugs Bunnies at, up until 2000? I don't know if they were making new ones. I don't think you know, so. And you know they had to ban a lot of them after yes. a while because if of you really racism. know, there was a lot of yeah. racism and things in the old Bugs Bunnies. There's just some uh, problematic things problematic, in Bugs Bunny. Yeah. Problematic Bugs Bunnies. Um, anyway, All right. so that's that. And then on Wednesday, October 12, 1960, uh, this is not really American. 
Okay. Even though this That's is American right. timelines. That's but okay. The Japanese Socialist Party chairman, Inahiro Asanuma, was assassinated during a televised debate. Really? He was assassinated with a samurai sword. No. On live television. Tell me everything. During a debate. Tell me everything. Well, all I can tell you is it's on YouTube. No. You can watch it. Did you watch it? I watched it. You know, and we have a you history. Did? If you've watched, listen to American Timelines. We've talked on a, a couple other live. There was a live. There was a senator who shot himself in the air yes, live. Yes, I saw that. And I still to this day can't watch. I look away every time. Uh, so I yeah, tried to watch it, but this one, I watched it. But here's the thing about it: um, you can't see much. Like you see the guy debating, and then you see a guy attacking him with a samurai sword. Yeah. And immediately, just a, a swarm of, of Japanese come. people just yeah. like show up, and it's a thing. So look that up online. His name is Inejiro, uh, I-N-E-J-I-R-O. I think yeah. that's how you say it. Yeah. Asanuma. I watched a YouTube video on how to pronounce his name like 25 times. Yeah, so, I guess Inahiro, so. I think you nailed Asanuma. it. Asanuma. I, I got it, right? I you nailed it, by the way. I yeah, got that. I'm proud of you. Yeah, I did it. I did it. It's pretty good. I've been getting That's feedback. pretty sweet. I mean, that's not sweet, but it's, it's interesting. Yeah. So Who would have known that ever happened? So it was on J- Japanese television. It was on Japanese television. It wasn't television. on American television. I'm sure television. it probably was not. Yeah. No. But maybe they heard about it. Maybe it was on the news or we something. We might have heard about it. You never know. Yeah. Might have heard do, about never it. Never do know. And then on uh, Thursday, October 13th, 1960, was the conclusion of that year's World Series. Oh, boy. And bear with me. Amy hates sports, but yeah. Steve Brace is in the house, and yeah. he's a sports fan. I'm, I'm going I'm uh, to so deal, gonna deal with it. you're going to deal with it. I'm going to deal with it. And the 1960 World Series was played between the Pittsburgh Pirates and the New York Yankees. Yeah. It started in October 5th and went all the way to October 13th, 1960. This is notable. I'll cut right to the notable thing. Good. For the Game 7 ninth inning home run hit by Bill Mazeroski. Okay. okay this is, that's never happened. It's the only time a winner-take-all World Series game ended with a walk-off home run. Really? And again, you can watch this on YouTube, and I really wanted to. Last night I watched it, and I wanted to splice in the audio for this when they announced this yeah. home run happening. Because did the announcers go time. nuts? Yeah, because it's a 1960 voice, and it's really cool. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't want to throw that at poor Brian Baltashevitz with the Queen City Podcast Network at the last minute. Uh, <laughs> and I would have had to rip it from YouTube, and it might have yeah. been illegal, and I don't know about that. But you can watch the home run, and the cool thing about this is it's 1960. Yeah. You know, the guy hits the home run, and you see him run the bases, and instantly just 1960 fans run out onto the field. You see some guy in a suit and tie yeah. running around the bases right behind him. Oh, my God, him really? Base. He just hugs them, and they all just hug him. It's just like, it's just a real... Everybody's yeah. dressed real fancy. They're real fancy. Everyone wore a tie everywhere and, and a dresses hat. Dresses and stuff. And all that. So, um, anyway, a couple things. Despite losing the series, the Yankees scored 55 runs in the series. Whoa. The most runs scored by any one team in World Series history. Not in one game, in the whole series. Oh, okay. But so, even though the Pirates won... Yeah. The Yankees hold the record for most runs scored in a whole World Series, even though they lost. In for this 1960? In that, no, in all World Series, oh, okay. like the most runs, because the Yankees won their three games yeah. in blowouts. They won 16 to 3, 10 to nothing, and 12 to nothing. Yeah. But the Pirates won four close games 6 to 4, 3 to 2, 5 to 2, and 10 to 9. Okay. So that's kind of funny. I think I followed that. Did you get that? I think so. I was kind of thinking that. Are you going to understand what I'm talking about? A little bit. A little bit not. And here's one one other little notable thing. We'll bring this to entertainment. Because Bing Crosby uh, often pirated baseball games. He used to beat his wife. He beat his wife. Yeah. In between 
wife beatings, Bing Crosby would pirate baseball games. What does that mean, pirate them? Pirating, pirate, like he would illegally record them. Oh, okay. Or steal them. I don't know. In 1960, he didn't have VCR, so I'm not sure how he pirated them, you know? Piracy? Oh, I don't know. You didn't do your research. I don't know how he did it. I didn't look much more into this. But he, Bing Crosby, possesses the only complete video copy of the 1960 World Series. Oh, is he, I don't think he's alive anymore, honey. No, he's, Bing Crosby's still alive. He's only 35 years old. No, that's it. Now you're And he's full on of YouTube. It. He's a YouTube influencer. You're full of it. No, okay, he might be dead. Yeah, sometimes I sure lie. He's... Those of you who are new, I lie sometimes, but that's she true. calls me out. That's true. Uh, but if she doesn't call it out, it's not a lie. That's not true. Okay. October 15th. We'll jump to October 15th. That's a day before my hello, birthday. Hello, Jeff Parker and Gail Henderson Voland. They're joined, they're watching here live. Um, anyway. Uh, October 15th was a Saturday mm -hmm. in 1960, and according to the Beatles Bible, okay. uh, those of you who have been listening, we've been covering a lot of Beatles history, because the Beatles are a very good band. That's true. They are one of the best, arguably. They are. Now, they're not American. No, but they influenced America. But they've influenced we American culture. That, we all I know think. that. So, according to Beatles Bible, this was the f October 15th, Saturday, October 15th was the first occasion in which John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison, and Ringo Starr recorded music together. Oh, so Ringo's now part Ringo of it. Ringo is now there, and this is the first time they recorded together. Because last time it was some right. other guy. You're right. I, uh, uh, it was that Tommy Moore who quit because he got in that car accident, and, lost his teeth, and, and John, Lennon, John Lennon dragged him out of the hospital to perform yeah. a concert. And he just got in a car accident, lost his teeth. He didn't have teeth. any teeth. And uh, so he was like, screw John Lennon, and he quit. Yeah. Otherwise, he would be the Ringo Starr. But anyway, Ringo Starr is now there. I don't know when he joined. But, uh, oh, this is, this is when he joined, kind of, because they were, the Beatles were the backing group for Lou Walters. Okay. Who everybody knew as Wally. He was the bassist in Rory Storm's band, The Hurricanes. I think I've heard of them. And The Hurricanes featured Ringo Starr on drums. Oh. So he was the drummer it for The Hurricanes. It all comes full circle. Yeah, and so... They were all there in this recording studio. Mm. Uh, and the recording was made in Germany in a small acoustic studio mm -hmm. uh, in Hamburg where members of the public were able... This is a place where members of the public could go in and you could record messages for family and friends and have them pressed to a 78 RPM acetate disc. That was like a thing that people could do. So, explain it to me So again. people in the public could go into the studio and yeah. you could record a message for your family and friends. Yeah. And, and think about it. It's 1960, so that was a novel thing. And yes. you, could, you would walk out with a record okay. of your recording. Oh, okay. And you could just say stuff like, oh, I love you all or whatever. Yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. it's your last will or maybe it's like, hey, Frank. I never uh, loved you. I never loved you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm breaking up with you. Um, but anyway, you could do that. And so this is where they went. So the Beatles are said to have wanted to record some songs on their own. Yeah. Uh, but they went in and they, they recorded. Uh, uh, Pete Best wasn't with them. Uh, Stuart Sutcliffe was there, but he didn't play. Uh, and they, they recorded the song Summertime. I don't remember them In the summertime. No, they don't because uh, they pressed this onto a disc, but no known recordings have are known to have survived. I wonder which version of Summertime it is. There's, there's several. Because the you were I just know. getting ready to sing some yeah. Mungo Jerry. And and I don't Mungo think, Jerry is I don't, the only one I don't think it matters. was the same one. I really don't. I take that back. The other version of Summertime that does matter is, is Fresh Prince. No. Summer, no. summer, summertime. No. Time. Okay, there's an old jazz song called Summertime. Okay, well, it must be that then. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Well, we'll move on. To Monday, October 17th, we have a new number one song 
on the Billboard charts. The Drifters. You can dance. Oh, I like this you one. Dance with the that gives you the eye. Let him hold the tight. It doesn't sound like the the original you though. This smile. is the Drifters. Is this the is this them? I don't think this I think this made, you found a cover or something. I don't know. Maybe I got the wrong one. I'm pretty sure you did. No, I think it is. This is it. Oh. I don't think so. It's a good song though. Save the last dance for me. Okay. So that being said, this that might not have been the right recording. I don't it's, think it know, was. It's a it's a chore to find the recordings and do the research I and know, have a full time job sure that was and some keep cover your wife band. happy and yeah. take the garbage out and raise your kids, not be jerks. It's a lot of work here. So that's true. Maybe it's not right. But here, in my defense, there are like there are sixty members of the Drifters. I thought you were going to say there are sixty versions of Save the Last Dance. There are five thousand versions of Save the Last. No. There are 60 different versions of the Drifters, 60 different vocalists in the history of the Members. Drifters. Okay. Vocalists. Only oh, vo- yeah. Really? So maybe that is Because there's been, there was a Charlie Thomas Drifters, there was the Clyde McFadder in the Drifters, you don't have to go through all 60. in the Drifters, right. Greg the Hammer you don't Valentine have, You don't have to drifters. go through all 60. I don't? Okay. No. Well, I won't. Anyway, do we have any Drifters fans in here tonight? <laughs> no. <laughs> and this, just so you guys know who are listening, this place is packed. There's over 2,000 people in here, so that yeah. tells you. It's standing room only There's around here. There's no Drifters fans in here. Nope. Um, anyway, I have a lot of stuff about the Drifters. I went down a, uh, a, rabbit, a hole. rabbit hole on the internet. And we, in the sake of time, let's just keep going. Uh, uh, but anyway, they had a ton of different people. So, All right. And then Wednesday, October 19, 1960, owner Bob Short moves the Minneapolis Lakers due to an awful attendance to the West Coast to become the first NBA team on the West Coast. You know where he moved the Minneapolis Lakers? Los Angeles. The Los Angeles Lakers. You are a sports genius. No. <laughs> you know everything about sports. No, I'm pretty sure that's common knowledge. Yeah, the Lakers, which, again, I'm gonna, I know I've mentioned this before. This is one of my pet peeves in sports. When you move a team to a different city, mm-hmm. you change the name if it doesn't make sense. Oh, right. There are no lakes in Los Angeles. So why there are, are they no called, lakes. Why are they called the Lakers? Minneapolis is a land of lakes. There's a thousand lakes in Minneapolis, so the Minneapolis Lakers made sense. Don't they do that with the Oilers, too? The Houston Oilers? No. That's a good one. That's an example oh, of Oh, they good changed one. it. The Houston Oilers moved to Tennessee, and they became the Tennessee Titans. Oh, that does make sense. Because there's no oil in Tennessee. Right. That we know of. Maybe there is that some undiscovered. Maybe there's some. You never but know. there are no lakes. In Los Angeles. I'm sorry for losing my temper, but there are no lakes in Los Angeles. So no, be, that's true. become the Los Angeles pavement likers or the that's Los awful. Angeles riots. There's a lot of riots and fires. The Los Angeles fires. How about that? You're, you, it's too soon, honey. You're really. Well, there's, a fi- there's probably a fire right now. It's true. Uh, what about, okay, and so here's another one that bothers me. The Utah Jazz. This one is the most. Yeah, that's pretty dumb. Horrible thing. The Utah Jazz are from New Orleans. New Orleans. They yeah. were the New Orleans Jazz. Which makes sense. And, yeah, which makes sense. There's jazz in New Orleans. A lot of it. Yeah. There's no jazz in Utah. No, there's none. That's there's true. There's nothing. There's just Mormons. Mormons, yeah. And white people. And yeah. I don't know, cattle? I don't know what else yeah. is in Utah. There's Snow? mountains, I think, or something. There's no jazz. Yeah. Change the name. So when the Hornets moved to New Orleans, they were the New Orleans Hornets for a while. So it would have made sense for that moment for the jazz to change their name so the New Orleans Hornets could become the New Orleans Jazz, and the Utah could be whatever, and then we could bring the Charlotte Hornets back, which we did. But the New Orleans Hornets became the New Orleans 
Uh, pelicans. Which doesn't make any sense. There's no, I don't think there's pelicans in New Orleans. Uh, there might be. It's on the bayou. There's yeah, probably maybe. pelicans. I'm not know. as mad as that. I just wish they could be the New Orleans Jazz. Right. Well, anyway. That's a moot point at this point. Oh, uh, you know. also, Rich Helland was a vocalist for the Drifters, I just found out, on Facebook Live. That's, we're That's a good. That so anyway, I'm glad we figured that out. Anyway, I, I'm just very upset about the teams changing names and changing things, and it, it's got to make sense is all, I ha- is all I'm saying. We get you. All right. I, th- I, I get think very I under- upset. It's understandable. Sorry about the anger, everyone. Please, I want a peaceful world. I don't want to be angry. It, we'll do a group hug after the, this episode. A shirtless group hug. Can we take our shirts off in here, Brian? Okay, whatever we want. Okay, good. Sweet. Monday, October 24th, 1960, we've got a new number one song on the Billboard charts. Brenda Lee. So 60s. Remember Brenda Lee? The last song she did was I'm Sorry. Yeah, yeah. This one sounds just like it. Alone. So alone that I could cry. I love it. You do? I do. I love it. This matches your style. I know. I love it. I have to say. You should just be listening to this on headphones, wandering through the city. Yeah. Well, I could see it. So this, I Want to Be Wanted, is the name of the song. It's an Italian song, Per Tutta La Vita, Yeah. For All Lifetime is the original song. Uh, anyway, it was Brenda Lee's second number one single, uh, the first one being I'm Sorry. Mm-hmm. Andy Williams released a version on the B-side to his single, Stranger on the Shore. Yeah. And then the song was covered by your favorite... Olivia Newton-John. Was it really? On her 1992 album. <laughs> yes, she had an album in 1992, Back to Basics, The Essential Collection. You know, my mom just bought me an Olivia Newton-John Barbie. Yeah, Amy's mom buys her presents for Mother's Day. <laughs> uh, she's got it backwards. And she just bought me an Olivia Newton-John Barbie. She bought Barbie. her an Olivia Newton-John Barbie. Because she knows that when I was little, that Amy was my was idol. Yeah. So that was that song. Do you have anything to say about Brenda Lee? Anything more? I think she sings Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. I'm pretty sure that's her. That's okay. the only thing I have. That's all I have. I'm that's dried all you up. got? Yep. Okay. Uh, and then we'll jump to Wednesday, October 26th, 1960. Mm-hmm. And this is from the NBC archives. Uh, you can look online. You can see interviews with uh, Robert F. Kennedy's uh, uh, campaign, JFK's campaign people. Oh, really? And Coretta Scott King. Because... Uh, Robert F. Kennedy secured Martin Luther King's release from jail on a traffic violation in Atlanta, Georgia, on October 26, 1960. Okay. And according to an interview with Coretta Scott King, uh, Martin had been asked to sit in with students at the lunch counter, at a lunch Uh counter downtown, in downtown Atlanta. Yeah. And he agreed to do so, you know, and he knew, of course, he would be arrested, as what they did in the Civil Rights Movement. that's right. And he expected to be arrested. And all of the students came out of jail, but they kept Martin Luther King Jr. in jail because they said he had a traffic violation and he had violated his probation. Such bullshit. Yeah, right. Hey, wait. Sorry. There's children here. Steve Brace is offended. <laughs> oh, they didn't hear it. Okay, nobody heard it. Okay, good. Anyway, <laughs> and of course, as I draw more attention to it. Uh, but they, he had a traffic violation, so they kept him in jail. The judge sentenced him to six months hard labor in Reedsville State Penitentiary for a traffic violation. Oh, my God. And so at the time, uh, Robert F. Kennedy and John Kennedy realized, now I've got to say, you think it's all great that they, they helped him get out, but they had ulterior motives. They were running, mm-hmm. you know, they, they wanted to get out the black vote, so they yeah. thought, we need to connect with somebody, so let's connect with Martin Luther King. But yeah. their difficulty was 
uh, Martin Luther King Sr. Uh, was an ardent Baptist. He did not want a Catholic in the White House. Oh. So Martin Luther King Sr. would not support uh, JFK. In fact, he signed a full-page ad for Baptist preachers and others for Richard Nixon because yeah. they didn't want a Catholic in the White House. But after they did this and got Martin Luther King Jr. and used their clout to get that judge to do it, uh, Daddy King was quoted as saying, you know, I never voted for a Catholic before. I never thought I could. But, you know, if I had a sack full of votes, I'd take them up to Washington and put them at the feet of Senator John F. Kennedy. Isn't that crazy that, yeah. that it was such a big deal to have a Catholic? Oh, yeah. Like, you would think he was, I don't know, Martian. Oh, yeah. And, it, and it's just like nowadays it, there's no... I can't fathom that today. I know. I mean, there it's, is it's you know, still that, but we, we have come a long way, so that's cool. But, yeah. That's right. That's, yeah. That's, that's nuts. That's how it was then. Mm-hmm. 1960. Uh, and then Saturday, October 29th, 1960, in Louisville, Kentucky, Cassius Did Clay... You say Louisville? Louisville. It's pronounced Louisville. No, I think it's Louisville. Louisville. No, you go to Louisville, Kentucky, and you say Louisville, you will get punched in the face, and they'll say, Louisville. Louisville, Kentucky. I don't think that's true. Louisville. That's how they say it. Anyway, in Louisville, Kentucky, Cassius Clay. Oh, I love him. Later known as Muhammad Ali. Wins his first professional fight. Really? You know who he defeated? No. A little trivia? Cassius Clay, who he defeated in his first professional fight? Who? A man named... Tunny Hunsaker. Oh, I did remember that. And then Tuesday, November 1st, 1960. Uh, oh, did we? No, no, we're good, yeah. Tuesday, November 1st, 1960. Mm-hmm. Several witnesses saw a phantom army on a road near Otterburn, Northumberland. Northumberland, is that how you say it? I don't know. It, so this was a site of a 13- Is this in Scotland or something? This is in Scotland. It's not American. Okay. This is the, but it was the site of a 1388 battle between Kingdom of Scotland and the Kingdom of England. Scotland won. But several people on this day in 1960 saw a phantom army, like ghosts That's pretty cool. fighting. That's pretty cool. Isn't that weird? Yes. Multiple people saw this. It has to be true. Well, unless there's some kind of collective psychosis that happened. Mass hysteria, maybe? Mass hysteria. I don't know. I'm just, I'm saying. Don't you think we're like? There's multiple dimensions. I think we're living in multiple dimensions. I think like, we're getting real an, deep now. There's another dimension should. right now where you know Pee Wee Herman's the president. That would be awesome. Yeah. I would love that dimension. That would be a good one. Let's go there now. Let's go there right now. Anyway, do you have any? Did you look up the uh, story at all? I didn't. I I thought I know, we agreed that you would, you would look up the story and tell more about it. Anyway, there wasn't much to yeah. tell. That's Google just what it. happened. Google it, everybody. Let's give our Google Let's give it, our listeners people waiting homework. in line for coffee. Yeah. Google it. Give anyway, our listeners homework. We'll give you homework, yeah. And then, um, and that brings us to Tuesday, November 8th, 1960. Uh, and just so you know, the last time Ohio voted for a presidential candidate that lost the election was in 1960. Ohio oh. always gets it right, except 1960. Not gets it right as in Not gets it the right. right the right but the one who wins picks the one who is Ohio. Wins. Whatever Ohio wins. And I'm from Ohio, so I took a lot of pride in that for a while. Yeah. But this was the last time they got it wrong. They voted for Nixon, but John F. Kennedy was elected president of the United States on Tuesday, November 8, 1960. Yeah. And um, a couple things about this. We're going we're gonna to quickly touch on this, take a quick break, 
and then get back to Amy's story that happens on the same day. But a couple of things about JFK. Um, when he was elected, I don't know if you know this, we weren't alive, so maybe we didn't realize this. Uh, arguments persist to this day about vote counting in two states. Okay. So they, it was so close. It was a super close election. Yeah. Kind of like the Gore one and all that. Uh, specifically, Illinois, mm -hmm. uh, where Kennedy won by 9,000 vote, votes. That's close. And Texas, where Kennedy won by 46,000 votes. Uh, if Nixon had won those two states, he would have defeated Kennedy by two votes in the Electoral College. Wow. Um, and so Nixon supporters thought there was uh, oh, they always do. things wrong, and they urged them to, to contest the results. Um, and there was a rampant rumors that in Illinois, Chicago's mayor, Richard Daley, used his political machine to stuff the ballot box he probably did. with dead people. And he might have. He Richard Daley was known to be yeah. kind of corrupt. Um, and so... Uh, Democrats charge the GOP with similar tactics in Southern Illinois. Don't, doesn't that happen every you know, election, yeah. though? Every election that's close. Whoever I'm sure. loses yeah. says that it was stolen. Yeah, I'm that's sure. That's always, do. it seems like. Yeah. I don't know. Um, do I have anything else about this before? Yeah, so it was real close. And I, I don't think I realized that it was real close. But another cool thing about that is still on YouTube, you can watch those presidential debates. Because they were the first televised ones. Yeah, the first televised debates. That's you can right. watch Nixon and JFK debate on on youtube and you can see why nixon lost yeah you because he's like sweaty and because that was and they say that's the big reason yeah. people over jfk because you, you could see them and you could see their personalities it was like one of the first ones like jfk is like a suave guy yeah. that everybody wants to make out with yeah and richard nixon <laughs> everybody like, yeah. nobody wants to make out with them no. and, and that's the only thing americans care about is yeah. who you want to make I, out with the most and actually i'm wearing my jfk socks that's true i have president socks i have socks for every president uh, yes. I got problems, but I'm wearing his my JFK Howard Taft sock. socks come up to his knees. Yeah, my Howard Taft socks are. It's like a body sock. <laughs> Howard yeah. Taft was the big fat one. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I did my report every year. Yeah. Every time I had to report on a president, it was Howard Taft, because he had to get a forklift. He was so fat. He That's not true, though. It's it, it might not it's be true. It's an urban legend. But it's a great it legend. It is a great it's legend. It's a great story. That's true. Anyway. And, and as a kid, fat guys were my favorite. And they still are my favorite. They still are. And I'm becoming a fat guy, so I'm excited. But anyway, are we ready? <laughs> you want to take a break? Yeah, let's you take use a the rest? Break. We'll yep. take a quick break, and we'll return with Amy's creepy murder story. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. I love you. Come on, tell me about the time. Had it all in my head tonight. Had the time. American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. So now I'm obsessed with time. Come on, tell me about Welcome back to American Timelines. Welcome back. By History for Jerks. We just got done with a little break, and thank of, thanks to you folks coming in from the rain. The tornado sent us some new listeners. That's right. Where well, there is a tornado uh, yeah, right now. Yeah, you can see behind us. It's um, the end of days. So something. Why not record a podcast? So we left off November eighth, nineteen sixty. Yep, and we just JFK just got elected president, nineteen sixty, and Amy has a gruesome, horrible, awful story to tell us, and I'll try to lighten it up a little bit with fun things. Okay, so, so Amy, take it away. On November 8th, 1960, yeah. in Dear Abby's column in the newspaper. Right. Wait, November 8th, 1960, the same day that Otto Frederick Redweger? 
You nailed that. Rowetter, <laughs> an American engineer, invented the bread slicing machine, died at 80 years old. What's the bread slicing machine? There was a bread slicing machine, and that guy invented it, and he died on this day. Why? The same day that happened, and the same day on ABC, the Rifleman was on, the adventures of a Wild West rancher wielding a customized rapid-fire Winchester rifle, and his son? Yes, that day. That day? That day. All right. In Dear Abby's column... The, um, a teenager wrote in and said that she had heard right. that there was a madman on the loose with a hook for a hand. Oh, a madman on the loose with a hook for a hand? Yes. Tell a me more. And that people would be parking in Lover's Lane and they would hear it on the radio that the madman escaped from the mental asylum with a hook for a hand. Yeah. And the girl would get nervous and insist to be taken home. And so the boy would get mad, and he would finally leave. And then when he got to her house and he went around to open her car door, there was a bloody hook hanging from the handle of the car door. Okay, now this sounds like an urban legend it, that it, we've all heard. Right, it is an right? urban the legend. Right, the man with a hook hand. That's right. It is an urban legend. Okay. But it was um, the roots of this urban legend come from real-life uh, Lover's Lane Murders. Ooh. Everybody likes murder stories, don't they? Yeah. 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 Ooh. And um, one of them was the case of Larry Payton and Beverly Allen. Larry Payton and Beverly Allen yes. sound like a very attractive young couple in 1960. So Larry Payton. Was Larry a, Payton, y'all. He was a 19-year-old sophomore at Portland State College. Okay. Portland his, State College. Sophomore. You don't have to repeat everything. Yeah, but don't you, don't you ever, just, this is my only chance to say this. You ever have somebody that's pronounced it Southmore? You ever wonder when somebody says Southmore? No. Never mind, go ahead. All right. And his girlfriend, Beverly Allen, was a student at Western Washington University. Okay. So they met in the summer of 1960. They worked at a camp together. Well, they worked at a camp, went to different schools. Then uh, they spent Thanksgiving with her parents. Okay. Then uh, Beverly drove down to Portland to visit Larry and spend the weekend with him. All right. A nice lover's weekend. On November 26th, 1960. Oh, wait. Hold on. Before we get to that, before that happened, they started dating. Before we get to November 26th, we've got a couple things to speed through. November 13th, Sammy Davis Jr. married Swedish actress Mae Britt. Oh. Who was Jewish. Okay. In 1960... And, you know, Sammy Davis Jr. was an African-American. Right. And interracial marriage had not been, it had, had been legal in California only since 1948. Isn't that crazy? And it was still illegal in 23 states. Yeah. And a 1958 opinion poll had found that only 4% of Americans supported interracial marriage. Isn't that terrible? 4%? 4%. Oh, my God. And listen it's to crazy. this. Sammy Davis Jr.'s daughter, yeah. Tracy Davis, revealed in her 2014 book, Sammy Davis Jr., A Personal History with My Father, that this marriage resulted in uh, President JFK refusing to allow Sammy Davis Jr. to perform at his inauguration. JFK did that? Yeah, because he married a, a white woman. Isn't that terrible? Oh, my God, yes. That's terrible. Yes. And anyway. you know in 1960, all kinds of things like that happened. Yes. And before we get to November 26th, on November 14th, we have a new number, so- number one song. On the Billboard chart, Ray Charles. We all know this song. Oh, George on Ray my Char- mind. Yeah, it's. Let's listen to a little bit of this. This is a great one. This is a great song. Georgia, sing it, Ray. 
Georgia. He's so good. The whole day through. I love Ray Charles. Yeah, uh, he's so good. Just an old so, sweet song. Oh, I love. I can't. I, I hate talking over it, but. All right, let's lower that a little bit. And then a 1930 song. This was a 1930 song written by Hoagie Carmichael and Stuart Gorell. Yeah. Uh, But Ray Charles, a native of Georgia, Mm -hmm. recorded for his 1960 album, The Genius Hits the Road. And in 1979, the state of Georgia designated this the official state song. And in 2003, Rolling Stone magazine named the Ray Charles version of Georgia on My Mind the 44th greatest song of all time. Burn to Willie Nelson. Why? Did he record this? Yeah. Oh, he did? Oh, yeah. Well, Ray Charles is better. Ray Charles is unbelievable, and I love him. Oh, okay. So, and, then, and then moving on to November 14th. Oh, for crying out loud. I got a couple other things. All right. I can't skip Ruby Bridges. Oh, that's true. New Orleans school desegregation crisis. Ruby Bridges and the McDonough Three become the first black children to attend an all-white elementary school in Louisiana. Yes. That was a big, huge deal. Yes, it was. And we, so we can't skip that. That's true. And Ruby Bridges, there's a children's book yes. uh, about Ruby Bridges. There's a bunch that, of them. There's a bunch of them. And our children have, uh, we've read those to them so that we make sure they're aware that all this happened. Um, but I hate to skip that because those are big, huge things that happen. That's true. Uh, and the McDonough Three, and you can find on YouTube, uh, the McDonough Three in like 2010 or something, mm-hmm. they reunited with the f- marshals that escorted them and protected them. What were them. the McDonough Three? Just to- the McDonough Three were um, three six-year-olds. Six Where are their names? Um, Leona Tate, Tessie Prevost, and Gail Etienne. Mm-hmm. They lived in the Ninth Ward of New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were the first black students to integrate in an all-white school there. Wow. Um, and so the federal marshals had to escort them to school yep, every day. that's right. Because people didn't want them going to a school. I mean, so it's, it's terrible and awful, but we, have to, we can't let go and forget it. We have to know that happened. But that's right. you can see on YouTube where they reunited with the marshals that protected them. Oh, really? And they're these really old white men like in their 80s. And these, these ladies are in their 60s. Yeah. And it's just like you, you can't help but like really? be moved emotionally. So check that out. That's a cool thing. That is cool. Um, and then Saturday, November 19th, Jeez. 1960, Miss Elizabeth uh, no, was born on. in Frankfort, Kentucky, Macho Man's Valley. Oh, no, come on. And then November 21st, 1960, we have a new number one song on the Billboard charts, Maurice Williams and the Zodiacs. Oh, I love this one. Stay. This is a good one. This is a great song. This song was written by Maurice Williams when he was 15 years old. Really? Yes. He was trying to convince, this is a real thing, he was trying to convince his date not to go home at 10 o'clock as she was supposed to. Really? And he, he lost the argument, but later he wrote this song. That's pretty good. And that, that high part is what it's known for. Yes, it is. But here's the irony of this. The song is about a boy begging a girl to stick around. Yeah. But in itself, the, st- the song does not stick around. It's only 98 seconds long. Is it really? It's the shortest song that's ever reached number one in the U.S., according to Stereogum.com. Pretty sweet. And this is the same day that George Harrison is deported from Hamburg for being under 18 and lacking a work permit, and the Beatles continue without George Harrison for a while. Okay. And then you were at November 26th. November 26th. Wait, before that, one more thing. Oh, You're going to be mad about this. But no, I, I am going to be mad about this. I can't skip this. Wait till you hear this. Thursday, November 24th, 1960, 
basketball player Wilt Chamberlain grabs 55 rebounds in a single game, the all-time record, uh, against the Boston Celtics. And it's, I think it's still a record to this day. Wilt, 55 in one game? Yes. Wow. Wilt the Stilt was 7 feet 1 inches tall. Whoa. And uh, his nickname that he didn't like was the Big Dipper because mm-hmm. he was so tall he had to dip his head in through doorways. Yeah, they could have um, come up with something a little more snappy than that. Yeah, he didn't like that. No, but I don't he, blame him. He went on to break more than 70 NBA records in his 14-year career. Yeah. He scored 31,419 points. Whoa. And the only guy with more points than that is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who played six more seasons than him. Wow. Anyway, he's the highest scorer, unbelievable player, and then he broke, they told him to do more rebounds, then he broke the rebound records. Didn't he have a, a long list of... Well, that's the thing. Wilt Chamberlain was an amazing player, holds all kinds of sports records. Yeah. But he's most famous for sleeping with 20,000 women. Yeah, which I don't know if I believe that. I come mean, on. come on. You can't. He was Wilt Chamberlain. I know, but you can't. You can't? He wouldn't have any time for basketball. Well, one before the game, one at halftime. No. One after the game. I don't think so. 20,000? We'll have to figure out the math. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'm not, somebody I'm home. not going to do that. Okay. okay and that brings I, us to November 26th. All right. We'll so. C- continue on with your murder. So she, she goes to spend the weekend with Larry. Okay. Yeah. And they make plans to go shopping at about 9 o'clock p.m. that night. Okay. They're shopping at 9 o'clock p.m. And they were never seen alive again. Who goes shopping at 9 o'clock p.m.? I, these two? These two, okay. I don't know. And they were never seen again? Never they were, seen alive again. They were murdered? Yep. yep. Oh, dun, dun, dun. So on the evening of November 27th, which is the next day. Oh, wait. November 26th was the same day the Minneapolis-St. Paul Baseball Club took the name of the Twins. Yeah. They were the Kansas City Blues originally. Okay. And it was the same time that Gordy Howe became the first NHL player to score 1,000 points. Yeah. And Lassie was on TV. Okay. And then Sunday, November 27th, mm-hmm. oh, this was the same day that Lassie was on TV. I'm sorry. It wasn't the 27th. Okay. Okay. The same day that Lassie was on TV? Yes. Okay. Larry Payton's Ford Coupe was discovered parked in a remote lover's lane in Portland. Oh, no. They found his car in lover's lane? With his body inside. Only his body? Only his body. So you don't go to lover's lane alone. Yes. But he was alone, and his lover was not there? Nope. Oh, no. He, would, he had been stabbed 23 times. Oh. And his head was crushed. He had mud on his clothing. His which head su- was crushed. I crush your head. Which suggests that he had been outside of the car at some point during the attack. Yeah. If the, your clothes are muddy. So the FBI comes in because Beverly's missing. So it, oh no. they think it's a kidnapping. The, her, her purse is, is there. Her, um, her purse is in the car? Yes. Her coat is there. Her glasses are crushed on the ground. Her glasses are gone. And there's a single bullet hole in the windshield, and it was oh. determined that the gun was shot from inside the car. Oh, what? Right. So. Now, what is he dead? There's no does gun, a, though. Does he have a bullet wound? Is no. he dead by bullets? No? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. he's shot. Yes, sorry. Sorry. Um, Did I miss that? Maybe I missed that. So, um, a manhunt for her begins to find out where she went. Wouldn't that be a woman hunt? Woman hunt. On January hunt. 9th. Me Too movement. Hashtag Me Too. It's a lady, all right, all right. lady hunt. January 9th, 1961. Oh. January 9th, 1961. Hold on. Get it together. The same day. Yeah. The same day that President Dwight Eisenhower gave his final State of the Union address to Congress. 
Yes. And on CBS, Pete and Gladys was on TV? Yes. Pete Porter is an insurance salesman and the somewhat dour straight man to his perky and beautiful but scatterbrained wife, Gladys. That's Starring terrible. Henry Morgan and Carol Williams. That sounds awful. The same day that was on? Yes. Beverly um, was found. Oh, she was found? Alive? Yes. No. Oh. She's dead. Oh. She is about 30 miles west of Portland in a ravine along Sunset Highway. Oh. She was only wearing stockings, gray stockings. Oh, um, that's her, not good. Her hands were bound with green nylon cord. Oh. An autopsy confirmed that she was uh, strangled. Oh. So. That took a turn. In October, so it, nothing happens for a while. Then in October of 1966. Right. So we go fast forward a little bit. And invest, the, the investigator receives yeah. a letter from a, this woman named Nikki Essex. Okay. Who Nikki says Essex that sounds she, like a fake name. It does. She says she has information about the murders. And she gives information that only people, someone that was intimately familiar with the crime would know. Okay. Including that there was a, a house party near the, the scene of the crime that night. Oh, house party in 1960. You know what that was like. And that there was a Kid knife left on the there? hood of the car. A knife was on the hood of the car. Yeah, she knew that. All right. So um, she implicates 36-year-old Edward Jorgensen and his 27-year-old brother, Carl. Oh, sound like criminals. And Carl, Carl was a former boxer, and he was a salesman at this upscale shoe store in town. Never trust a shoe salesman. And um, Edward was married with five children. Never trust a guy who's married with five children. So the, she also implicated um, a, a man named Robert Brom. As, as okay. a third. Um, oh, Robert Brown was involved too? He was. So she's saying these people left this crazy party and just murdered right. people in right. Lover's Lane? So on August 13th, 1968. Oh, the same day. That, that was International Left-Handers Day. What? Yeah, that was International Left-Handers Day. What does that mean? As a day to celebrate people who are left-handed. Left okay, well, that's good. They need Any to be... lefties in the house? Any left-handers here? No. Nope, no left-handers. And nope. this is a room full of, like, 10,000 people are in here. That's Nobody's right. left hand. Somebody just left. Um, yeah. So a grand jury was held in the case, and um, they, they, the men proclaimed their innocence. They said they had nothing to do with it. Really? The only evidence they had was this woman's testimony. Does the hook guy come into play in this again? Well, it's a Lover's Lane murder. Oh, Gus is Lover's Lane. So the hook is just a, yes. something added later. So the trials begin in early November of 1968, and okay. the... Um, the t Nikki Essex woman was the star witness, and she said that they all th that they had all attended this ha that house party that night. Okay. And that they went out to get beer. Right. And on the way back, they saw Larry and Beverly parked in their car, so they stopped and invited them to the party. Oh. So okay. then Larry and Beverly followed them, but. Um, they started to race. You know how they did in the yeah, 60s. You Everything was like 60s. a drag race. Everything's a drag race. So you all saw Grease. They started to race, and Larry got, uh, like, ran their car off the road into a curb and damaged it. So they got out, and they started to fight. And she we, says at this point, she ran towards the road. She ran okay. off. But she, then she heard a gunshot. Oh, the guys were fighting. Right. And then she, and then they came up to pick her up. And um, Beverly was in the car with them, but uh -oh. Larry wasn't anywhere to be seen. Larry was dead already. And so they came to pick her up, and then they dropped her off at home. Okay. And that was the last time she had seen Beverly. But so they say. The, 
the police hypnotized her for this testimony, and they also because this is the '60s. That was their yeah. tactic. If you have a, if you want to get to the bottom of something, hypnotize somebody. They also gave hypnotize her, them. They also gave her sodium sodium amytal, which is truth serum. I have sodium amytal right here. Yes, that's what yeah, I'm drinking. We know you do. Yeah, so, truth serum. Um, they gave they did all of this in Wait, order. They gave them truth serum. That they was gave a thing? her truth serum. And, they gave and, people truth serum and hypnotized people. This, yes. is what the, this was police work. So in November of 1968, Edward Jorgensen is convicted of the murder of Beverly Allen. Really? And um, he was sentenced to life plus 25 years. He was one of the guys? He's one of the yeah, two brothers. Okay. The, Carl was acquitted. Carl was acquitted. He had nothing to do with it. Um, the other guy, Robert Brum, yeah. he was sentenced to a first-degree murder of Love Larry. And sentenced to okay. life plus 25 years. So they think the one guy killed her and the one guy killed, killed him. him. That's right. Um, but in the spring of 1972, they file for appeals and they say that um, she, that that woman was psychologically unstable okay. and that they hadn't given her a com competency evaluation before they put her on the stand. Okay. So, um, and then the whole thing with the hypnosis and the truth serum, they say that 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 was also called her testimony into question. Remember, this is the only evidence that That's they had. That's all you got. So, Things were crazy in 1960. Um, Edward Jorgensen ended up being released on parole after serving three years. Three years is all he served for murder? And Brom was paroled after serving seven years. Whoa, for murder? Yeah, so Just let him fast out. forward to 2010. Fast forward. Yeah, to 2010. 2010, this was not too long ago. This uh, journalist writes a book. His name is Phil Stanford. He wrote a book about right. this case. Phil Stanford wrote a book. And he says that they were paroled so soon because the police didn't actually believe they were guilty. That, really? That they, they went after him, they went after them, and then they realized kind of afterwards that they maybe hadn't done it. Really? And so they, they also he talks about how they bungled the crime scene. They, they trampled over everything. That's they a, lost common, evidence. a common thread with everything we talk about is shoddy police work. But what he did find was there was a suspect that was particularly disturbing who okay. turned up early in the process and was not taken seriously. Who is this? And if he had been, there's a good chance that a dozen murders, including the Zodiac killings, what? may not have ever happened. If this might be the Zodiac his, killer? Might be. Oh. This man named Edward W. Edwards. Okay. So Edward W. Edwards? They did arrest him a few days after the murder. Now, if your last name is Edwards and you name your child Edward, yes, you are you're just asking for him to, to be a serial killer. That's right. That's right. So, so they did arrest him a few days afterwards because he was snooping around the crime. He was hanging around the crime yep. scene, which is a lot of times yep. what criminals do. They want to see what happens. He also had a bullet wound in his arm. Oh. <laughs> Well, that, you know, that's probably something. So he was, um, he was caught setting off fire alarms as a prank, and that's okay. what they put him in jail for at that time. Okay, setting off fire alarms. And, um, Which, who hasn't done that? But by the time he was arrested, the cops were already working on um, other theories and okay. looking at the Jorgensons. So they didn't take him. That He was kind of a back burner kind of suspect. Okay. So... He escapes from their jail over the weekend. What? Yeah, and they just sort of like, okay, well, yeah, whatever. He, he got was, away. He, he wasn't. Oh, well, he probably wasn't that anyway. Um, so then he moves east, right. and he's caught after a bank robbery. Okay. That had put him on the FBI's ten most wanted list. Yikes! 
they they got a hair sample right. from him at that t- time, and they sent it back to Portland. Okay. And they compared it with a hair found on Beverly Allen. That yes. It was not a match. Not so, a match. So they they eliminated him they as eliminated a suspect. Eliminated him. Okay. So then, early in tw- 2009. Right. They they dusted off another cold case. Oh, 2009. The same year that I discovered Hop Slam beer. Right. I don't know if that's when I discovered So they dusted off the cold case from 1980. Okay. And um, about these two young lovers that were walking home from a wedding reception. Yeah. And th- the man was stabbed to death and she was strangled. Right. And the, d- the DNA from that matched Edward W. Edwards. Oh, Edward W. Edwards is a murderer officially. So then in July of 2009. Right. Um, he's charged with two counts of murder. And so then they, um, they start looking at all these other crimes Okay. And wherever he went, there were these Lover's Lane murders, and including this guy is a Lover's Lane killer, including Beverly Allen and Larry Payton. Wow. He was in Great Falls, Montana in 1956 when a young couple was murdered. Oh, my gosh. There was a death of two high school kids in Akron, Ohio in 1979. Shout out to Ohio. That's my home state, y'all. And in 2010, he confessed to murdering two young lovers in Doylestown, Ohio in 1977. Okay. And then wow. to top it all off, he was in of the San Francisco Bay Area during the Zodiac killings, really? which have never been solved. They haven't been solved? No, they've never been solved. So this solved. might be the Zodiac. We might have just covered a Zodiac killer. So that puts him at the scene of at least five double murders involving young lovers over a 25-year stretch. Wow, that's amazing. And so he, had, he died in, on April 7th. 2011, just a few weeks into a life sentence in Wisconsin. Oh, that's not long ago. Wisconsin, huh? He never did say he was the man who killed Larry Payton and Beverly Allen, so we will never know for sure. Wisconsin is the home of cheese curds. But if they would have taken him seriously, maybe a lot of people wouldn't have died. And that's the the murder of Larry Payton and Beverly Allen. That's a very good story. Very good job. I enjoyed it. That was gripping. You can tell by the way those guys are eating that dessert that they could hardly take another bite until you finish that story. (laughs) They were on bated breath. Pins and needles. needles. No, that was very good. I like that story. Um, I still don't care for murders. I know you don't. I'm glad there wasn't a whole lot of graphic uh, sexual things Well, I cut out some of the more graphic. But let's just wrap up the year here, and and then we'll be done. All right. Uh, But we've got a a couple things to get through. We've got a new number one song on the Billboard charts. Sweet. November 28, 1960, Elvis Presley takes over, fresh out of the army. This is the first song after he returns from the army. Oh, yeah. This is not one of my favorites. Colonel Tom Parker told him to record this because Colonel Tom Parker's wife loved this song. Oh, okay. Colonel Tom Parker was a jerk. He was a terrible guy. Terrible guy. He as, totally, we, as we established. Yeah. In the, in the, we did an Elvis episode a while back, so listen back to that one. And um, a lot of people don't know this, but the WCW uh, wrestling uh, organization, they had a character named um, uh, Colonel Tom Parker, and he was like a wrestling manager, and he was terrible. Ridiculous. Anyway, that's enough of this. I don't like this song either. So that was Are You Lonesome Tonight by Elvis Presley. Um, And then on Tuesday, November 29th, uh, more Beatles news here. Uh, The Beatles were staying at this time. And they were being evicted from a... Th- they were living in a theater cinema, a, th- a cinema theater. Okay. A movie house they were living in. The accommodations were basic, and the sanitary facilities were minimal. But John Lennon and Stuart Sutcliffe had already moved out, and Paul McCartney and Pete Best were to follow. George Harrison had already been deported from Germany. Right. Uh, 
and it was, it was dark as they were moving out, and McCartney and Best gathered their belongings, and they were trying to move out, and they had no lights. So to get some lights in the room to help move, they decided to tack a, a condom to the wall. What? And nail a, can, a condom to the wall and light it on fire so they could have some lights. I don't know why. And so they damaged the wall a little bit. Why uh, are we talking about this? Well, because then they were deported from Germany mm-hmm. for, started, for trying to burn down the building, which they said they weren't. Uh, and Paul McCartney said, we couldn't have lit it down because it was made of stone. And, but they were deported from Germany, mm-hmm. and that made them continue their career and become the Beatles and start recording and so everything. So that led so to it all. They, they went to jail, and then they, were, they spent the night in jail, and then they were deported the following day. Okay. That was a Beatles history moment. All right. And then on December 5th, Monday, December 5th, 1960, um, Boynton versus Virginia, do you know this, this case? No. The U.S. Supreme Court declares segregation in public transit to be illegal. Oh, okay. Um, there was... Uh, the bus boycott. Yeah, the yeah. bus boycott. Thurgood Marshall argued the case for uh, Bruce Boynton, uh, who was a student at Howard University School of Law in D.C., and he was traveling on a bus for a holiday trip home to Selma, Alabama, and uh, he walked into a whites-only uh, shop uh, and ordered a cheeseburger and a cup of hot tea. Yeah. And he was arrested for that. Um, so, but this ended up culminating in this, where they declared segregation in public uh, transit to be illegal. So we're starting good. to make progress. Getting a little finally. bit of progress. Yeah. That's good. Yep. Um, and then on Thursday, December 15th, 1960, uh, this, a movie came out, The State of Israel, the, uh, based on the state of Israel being created in 1948 and resulting in a war with its Arab neighbors, the third highest grossing movie of the year, Exodus. Oh, okay. This? Directed by Otto Preminger. I think so. I think I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. Starring Paul Newman, Eva Marie Saint, and Ralph Richardson. Oh, yeah. Um, and the, this movie was three and a half hours long. Oh, my God, shoot me. And this movie's famous because at the premiere of the movie, mm-hmm. um, uh, a comedian named Morty Saul, mm-hmm. he stood up from a seat <laughs> once the third hour started, and he said, Otto Preminger, let my people go. <laughs> <laughs> and so... Uh, That's pretty good. And, and this thing, they had a... A pro- they had a, a contest on The Price is Right at this time yeah. for a chance to be a background actor in this movie. Oh, and really? Mrs. Mary Ann Spencer won that. Okay. And she was in that movie. Sweet. And then we're getting towards the end of the year, but on uh, Friday, December 16th, 1960, there was the, the New York air disaster. A United, United Airlines DC-8 collided with a TWA Lockheed constellation over Staten Island, New York City. Oh, man. All 128 passengers and crew on both planes are killed and as are six people on the ground. Whoa. Um, That's a mistake. Somebody, yeah, it was a somebody mistake. got fired yeah, for that. It was because somebody was uh, landing too low. Like One person did it wrong. Um, yeah. But uh, the, the crazy thing about this one is um, there was there was a couple crazy things. It, it uh, Where is this? Hello. Yeah, sorry. I had to take a break here. Um, the crash left the remains of a DC-8 aircraft pointed southeast towards a large open field. Yeah. Only blocks from its crash site, a student at the school who lived in one of the destroyed apartment buildings said his family survived because they all happened to be in only one room of, their, of that apartment that wasn't destroyed. Oh, wow. So they almost all died. And there was a survivor okay. of this. One, one survivor Initially, an 11-year-old boy named Stephen Lambert Baltz uh, of Wilmette, Illinois, 
was traveling unaccompanied. Oh my God! As part of his and family's plan. he's the only plan. one that survived. Yeah, his family's plan oh to spend Christmas God. in Yonkers with relatives. You're Can you imagine sending your child alone on a no, plane I and this not. happens? I and he survives. Uh, he was thrown from the plane into a snowbank, uh, where his burning clothing was extinguished. Extinguished, but he was alive and conscious. He was badly burned and inhaled burning fuel. So oh he died of God. pneumonia the next day. I think a plane crash is pro- would probably be the worst thing to die of. Well, it's the worst thing ever. I, I mean, to survive. Like, oh, yeah. to experience that and still be alive. And, and knowing a, a, train, a plane full of people oh died God, and you survived. Oh, my God, that's a nightmare. Yes. I would think the pressure would be on you. Like, I survived for some reason. Be what like am I going to do? Final I have to do destination or something. I yeah. got to do more than my life than just work at Arby's yeah, if I survive true. a plane crash. That's true, yeah. No offense to anyone who works at Arby's. I love Arby's. Yeah. Delicious roast beef. I always get the sauce all over my shirt okay. when I'm eating it. And then Monday, December 19th, 1960, mm-hmm. fire sweeps through the USS Constellation, the largest U.S. aircraft carrier, while it's under construction at a Brooklyn Navy Pier, killing 50 and injuring 150. Wow, this is just the hit parade of yeah, disasters. Yeah, just disasters in the end of 1960. And then on Wednesday, December 21st, 1960, a a Swiss family must survive being shipwrecked on a deserted oh, Swiss island. Swiss Family Robinson. Swiss, Swiss Family Robinson that made almost $8 million that year. Directed by Ken Anakin, starring John Mills, Dorothy McGuire, and James MacArthur. Um, and there's a lot of, I have a lot of things about this, but we don't need to. we're running out of yeah. time and things for this. But um, uh, let me tell you this. There was a, a trapped zebra that was subjected to electric shocks to make it move about a practice that is now illegal in Hollywood. That's awful. Um, Yeah, so isn't that terrible? Yes, it is. Um, And so, yeah. There's that. This is that sad thing about that. Yeah, I have a lot of other things. Um, And then I have to cover the Super Bowl didn't exist yet. Okay. So we had on Monday, December 26th, we had... Wait, I got some toys if you... Oh, you got Christmas Day? Well, let me just, uh, while you're looking those up, let me t- cover the, okay, the, go ahead. the football championship game. was the 28th NFL title game uh, played at Franklin Field in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania between the Dallas Cowboys and the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, That's why you wanted to bring it up. No, no, I'm sorry. This was between the Baltimore Colts and the New York Giants. Oh. The Vikings didn't exist yet. They came, the expansion teams were starting the next year. The Dallas Cowboys and the Minnesota Vikings were going to be the expansion teams the mm-hmm. next year. So they announced that. And then they had this, uh, this championship game between the Colts, defeated the Giants in sudden death overtime in 1960. And I won't go into it anymore because you hate sports. I do. Uh, and we're running out of time here. So go ahead. Do we have time for toys? Or? Yeah, do toys. Okay, and I got really one quick. last thing and then we'll end it. All right. So they had a gasoline engine for your bicycle in 1960. A, you, a gasoline engine on your bicycle? Yes. And I don't know. It was a, a 2.2 HP gasoline engine for your bicycle. Wow. I don't know how well that worked, but um, that's interest, that, I think, is an interesting thing. They ha- also had a play Ben-Hur set. Ben-Hur was that movie. A Ben-Hur play set. 132-piece Ben-Hur set includes everything to simulate the chariot race made famous in the movie Ben-Hur. My kids play with a Ben-Hur play set. That's great. Uh, Cape Canaveral set. Build your own Cape Canaveral with launchers and rockets and things. Oh, my goodness. And these are all metal toys, I'm sure. Oh, right? all of them metal. Yeah. Daisy, gu- Daisy guns. Daisy just guns. Just looks like a rifle. A rifle. Just shoot your eye out with that. Yeah. Uh, Gunsmoke cowboy model set. Based okay. on the television western series in and around Dodge City, Kansas. Dodge so there's City. that. You could play with that. That sounds great. 
A British-made Pelham Disney puppets. They look terrifying. Oh, my gosh. Uh, electric pinball machine. That sounds like that's enough. Gas-powered remote control plane. A gas-powered remote control plane for the children, for everybody. For the little children. Just don't smoke around it, kids. That's right. And a Surrey with the fringe on top pedal cart. Wow. So those are, okay. those are some Before we wrap up, toys. I got one more thing that happened in 1960. Monday, December 26, 1960, our new president, JFK, wrote a letter to America that was printed in Sports Illustrated. It was about America's growing softness and lack of physical fitness being a menace to American security. Really? Called the soft American. He was basically oh, chiding man. everyone for being lazy and, and, and us not being fit. And it was basically how we need to be strong and physically fit in case we get in wars. Uh, so a little bit, I have a little clip, of, uh, a little snippet, snippet of it. Uh, he said, the age of leisure and abundance can destroy vigor and muscle tone as effortlessly as it can gain time. Today, human activity, the labor of the human body, is rapidly being engineered out of working life. By the 1970s, according to many economists, the man who works with his hands will be almost extinct. Many of the routine physical activities which earlier Americans took for granted are no longer part of our daily life. A single look at the packed parking lot at the average high school will tell us what has happened to the tr traditional hike to school that helped to build young bodies. I used to go two miles, two miles uphill. The television, the television set, the movies, and the myriad conveniences and distractions of modern life all lure our young people away from the strenuous physical activity that is the basis of fitness in youth and in later life. And this was before YouTube oh and, and tablets and screens and all. This and was in 1960s already, saying that. Already he's complaining to people. JFK saw our fat kids sitting yeah, around no watching uh, YouTube all day. It would be terrible. That would be great. So that was, that was his, his, uh, his plea to the public. Yes. We're all fat and lazy and uh, there's no more strenuous activity. We're all doomed forever. Yes. But, but that was 1960. That was 1960 in a large nutshell. And this was our first live podcast here on American That's Timelines. Right. Yes. And if you've, if you've never listened before, uh, go to at History for Jerks. Check us out on the Queen City Podcast Network. We'd like to thank them for having us. Thank you to Ortho Carolina for doing this. Thanks to Charlotte Shout. Thanks to everybody here at Coco, the director. Please subscribe on iTunes. Uh, wherever you are, give us a review. Even if you didn't like it, give us five stars. And, and you can say whatever you want. You, yeah, you, you can, can say, say whatever you want. You can say it was crap. You can just, just say that five I'm stars. a beautiful man and you're listening because of that. But thank you for being here and listening. Um, I know the storm helped us get some people listening. So, hey. Yeah, I, no, I Mother Nature. I don't care about that. I'm cool with that. What about you? I'm cool, but you know what? Chuck Berry just walked Chuck, in. Oh, Chuck Berry walked in, and it's time for Chuck Berry to get out of get here. Get out of here. Thank you for listening. We're American Timelines. We're History for Jerks. That's Amy. I'm Joe. We love you, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Listen to us online. Thank you. We're so tired of hearing about the six days. I said we're so tired of hearing about the six days. Well, make me shut my mouth.
American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com.